The reading is from Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 to 11. Matthew 21, starting at verse 1. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there, with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet, Say to daughter Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest heaven! When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. When it comes to our leaders, we're used to being able to choose. Hence the general election last year, which seems a long time ago now, doesn't it? But in all kinds of ways in life, we're used to uh, the freedom to choose, to have a say in things. At least we were until a fortnight ago. Now I realise it's a sensitive subject. It's been a challenging couple of weeks and it's going to be really important to return to those freedoms once the crisis is over. But what we've had is a taste of what most people in most of history have had to live with and many people still do today and that is not having a say, not having choices in how we're ruled or governed. That's how most people have had to live through history. And so it was as we go back to Jerusalem in uh, Matthew's Gospel 2,000 years ago, there had been battles and the Romans had won the battles and Jerusalem was subject to Roman rule and 63 BC, Pompey the Great would have ridden in, having conquered Jerusalem, on a mighty war horse, projecting the power and authority and don't mess with us of Rome. But we read in Matthew's Gospel of a very different ride into Jerusalem. Someone gentle and riding on a donkey, which was the animal of choice when a ruler came in peace to a city. But before we all get sort of, you know, hey man, flower power about it, Jesus is making a particular claim here by choosing to enter Jerusalem in this way. And Matthew highlights that. And also Matthew highlights the reaction of the crowd to what Jesus does and the claim that he's making. So we'll look at those two parts, the claim of Jesus and the cry of the crowd, which will be our link 
uh, from what happened back then to us today. Shall we pray as we do that? Heavenly Father, please help us now to not just know about what happened on Palm Sunday, but to hear your word to us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The context for this claim of Jesus is the promise in the Jewish Bible at the end of it uh, that God would send uh, a Messiah. And it's there in the prophets at the end of the Old Testament, a leader, a saviour, not just for Israel, but for all the nations. And it's there in Isaiah, it's there in Zechariah, who gets quoted in what we've read, pointing forward to someone who would come, someone of incredible power, who, through whom judgment day would come, someone who would defeat and destroy all evil and wrongdoing, and who would banish wrongdoers from the presence of God. Someone through whom everything would be restored and renewed, a new heaven and a new earth, paradise again. That was part of the promise. An incredibly powerful person. In fact, God himself come to earth to restore things and make everything right. That's the main part of what was prophesied and promised. But there was also another part. There was the promise of someone who would be a servant. Someone who would come and suffer. Someone who would take on himself the sin and the wrongdoing of other people and take responsibility for those things so that he would be crushed, he would be punished and that that would be what would bring the world peace. That's Isaiah chapter 53 uh, and, uh, and it leads into Zechariah chapter 9 verse 9 which is the bit that's quoted in Matthew that this king would be gentle and riding on a donkey to bring peace. So let's go back to Matthew and to what uh, Matthew tells us about Jesus. For most of Jesus' ministry, uh, he has been really careful not to ride the crest of sort of popular opinion, uh, not to uh, sort of fuel the fires of expectation. So if you go back to chapter 16 and He's talking there with his disciples and he asks them to straight. He said, who do you say I am? Uh, and they say, you are God's Messiah. What does he do next? He says, well, don't tell anyone. He swears them to secrecy. And that's the pattern of his ministry up until this point in Matthew chapter 21. This is where he chooses to go public. And so let's look down and look down to verse 1. Matthew remembers they were approaching Jerusalem and they stopped short and Jesus sends two of them on ahead to a village on a sort of little faith mission. And what Matthew highlights as he tells us about these events is the way that Jesus is in control of what's happening. Jesus is quite deliberately fulfilling Zechariah's prophecy. Having previously gone to these great lengths to prevent people from hailing him as the Messiah... Now Jesus wants the message out there for all to hear. So this is a state visit. This is the king coming to his capital city. That's the claim that Jesus is making. He's saying, 
that he is the promised Messiah that they were all looking forward to come at last. He's saying that he is God himself on earth in the person of his son. He's saying that he's come to fulfill what was prophesied. But he's not come to bring judgment day. Because none of them would have been ready. And actually for us, uh, in the future from this point, we, we, you know, we, we, we wouldn't have even existed to have the chance. No, no, judgment day, it is coming just as it's promised, but it's still future. Jesus came 2,000 years ago to fulfil the other part of those promises of the Messiah. He came to serve, to suffer and to pay for the wrongdoing. To be the gentle king who brings peace between God and the human race. You see, that's why he swore the disciples to secrecy. It's because none of them understood that before he died. It's why so many people miss Jesus. And so many people misunderstand Jesus as just a good example or just a prophet or something like that. When, in fact, this is God with us. God come to the rescue to save the human race. This is the one that we need. And this is what Jesus is claiming. That he's come and he's come to serve. That brings us to the response, the cry of the crowd. When the Romans conquered Jerusalem, they were just the latest in a line of occupiers of Jerusalem and Judea that had gone all the way back for hundreds of years to, uh, from the time of the prophets to the time of Jesus. It had happened over and over again. And throughout that, that period of time, the, the Jewish people were yearning for their freedom and no doubt crying out to God. El Shaddai, you are God Almighty. Please won't you save us. Jehovah Jireh, you're God our provider. You're the God who sees. Won't you send the Messiah? Hosanna. And that means save us now. You see, that's why the crowd reacts to Jesus in the way that it does. It's Passover. The city is full of pilgrims, full of expectations. Could this be the time? And they've heard the stories about Jesus. Some of them have seen him and heard him themselves. They've, they've heard the teaching. They've seen or heard of the miracles that God is healing. He's clearly at work. Could this be it? And so some of them put their cloaks down and, and some of them cut down palm branches and lay them out as a carpet for Jesus to ride into the city over. And the shout goes up, if you look down to verse 9, Hosanna to the son of David, another title for the Messiah. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. What do you make of that? What do you make of crying out to a Messiah for help and salvation? What do you make of asking heaven to intervene here on earth? We're pretty self-sufficient, aren't we, nowadays? We're pretty used to finding our own solutions. At least we were until three weeks ago. The virus has shown us our limitations. 
that the hard-working health service that we have is reaching capacity. That the brilliant scientists that are working around the world, they need more time. And it's scary. We're clearly not in control. My guess is that many of us have found ourselves praying over the last few weeks. Either with a renewed intensity or if we've not been in the habit of prayer up until now, starting again. So it's key that we understand that this crying out to God is not some kind of last resort. It's not, you know, all else fails, may as well pray. It's not that. The God of the Bible is not a God of the gaps. So it's not that people in the past, you know, they didn't really understand the world very well. There were lots of gaps in their knowledge, lots of things they found confusing or mystifying. And so they said, well, you know, that must be God. Now, I'm I'm sure that people did do that in the past, but, but that's not the God of the Bible. It's not the God that Jesus taught about. The God of the Bible is one who creates everything. That's who he is. And controls everything. He isn't caught out by events. And that means that when the human race makes a scientific discovery or breakthrough, that the gaps in our knowledge are getting smaller. But it's not that God somehow shrinks at the same time. Because God never lived in the gaps. The whole universe is his. It's by him, from him, for him. And so uh, science, human science, is it's what Johannes Kepler talked about as thinking God's thoughts after him. And so every scientific breakthrough is the human race discovering something more about how God usually does things. And we discover and we marvel at the extraordinary universe we live in, but at the same time, We wonder and marvel at the maker of it all. Prayer then is not some sort of last resort. Prayer isn't just something we do once we've exhausted all the other possibilities. It's rather in prayer we are coming to the one who is in control and we are asking him to help. Asking him to be merciful to us. However he chooses to do that. Uh, people back then in Jesus' day, they were just crying out, get rid of the Romans. We, we, you don't mind how you do it. We're willing to play our part in that. And so we too, as we're praying into this crisis, uh, we're asking God to do what it takes to stop the spread of this virus and trusting that he will do that in, in his time. Uh, there will be things that he wants the human race to learn during this period. This difficult and really challenging time that we're living in. Trusting that he's not been caught out by events. But praying for his mercy. Praying that this period would be short. And that whether it's intervening in some way, maybe just the right weather conditions to stop the spread of the virus, or whether it's through the normal means of us just all playing our part uh, in this lockdown, praying for strength to keep doing it, to wisdom, to learn what, how to do it in the best way, and to learn whatever it is that God has for us during this period of time. 
and praying for those on the front line for strength, perseverance, uh, inspiration, insight for the NHS as they care for people, for scientists as they work on a vaccine, for those manufacturing um, the uh, ventilators and for the government to know how to steer us through this crisis. That's prayer during this season, crying out to God for help. But, and I want to underline that word, but, this is really sobering as well as really good. God knows better than we do what our greatest needs are whenever we cry out to him. People back then thought their big need was to get rid of the Romans at all costs. But Jesus knew they faced a far greater enemy, an invisible enemy that was utterly fatal, that everyone was in grave danger. It's the same for us. The human race desperately needs a cure for coronavirus, but we have an even greater need, an even greater enemy that we all face. Because of the sin that we keep committing day by day, the wrong we do against God in this world, in his world. It may be you're thinking, hang on a minute, <laughs> I'm hardly going out. I'm, I'm not really committing lots and lots of sins at the moment. But you see, sin isn't, it isn't primarily our actions. It's something that starts in our hearts rather than our actions. It's whenever I say, when you say, uh, I'm in charge, I'm doing my life my way, no matter what anyone says, even Almighty God. It's when we, when I relegate God to sort of little more than a virtual assistant, I'll sort of tune in and listen to him when, you know, when I feel I need it, but the rest of the time I'm going to do it my way, or, or maybe we're just relegating God in, entirely, you know, it's He's not really relevant, is he, to the way we live our lives nowadays. I, I, I say that knowing that I do that, knowing that we all do that, knowing that the human race does that. What it means is, when we do all get to Judgment Day, we are all, as a human race, unprepared, utterly unprepared without God doing something extraordinary to save us. And so Jesus rode into Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. He rode in there to have the sin of the human race, your wrongdoing and mine, laid on him and to take the punishment in our place. That's the extraordinary news of Palm Sunday, of this whole Easter season. And we'll think more uh, on Good Friday in five days' time about what that meant for Jesus. But let me say, if you've never trusted what Jesus did on that first Good Friday, what he did when he came to Jerusalem, let me just say, he's just a prayer away. You can talk to him now and he'll hear you. 
it may be though that you think, I, I just, I just like to read a little bit more. I like to think a bit more. And so, can I just recommend something that you can put in your in your sort of search uh, uh, bar? Uh, it's um, it's uh, a letter and um, no, sorry, a number, one number and three letters. The number two, uh, the letter W, uh, the letter T, and the letter L, and that will take you to a website. Uh, two ways to live which will give you a really good summary of the Christian faith. The Christian faith starts when we cry out to the Messiah as our saviour and we ask him to save us. That's how it starts. And it goes on in just that same spirit. It's about learning daily dependence on him. It's about coming under his rule, his gentle rule where he doesn't say well here's 29 ways that you need to change before I'll even be interested in you he just says come 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 back come home come back to God come under my rule I'll accept you I'll forgive you and then I'll change you I'll give you my Holy Spirit to be in you to lead you into change and so we do that gladly and Because we know he's good. He's so good. So it's good to come under his rule. And actually the rules that he gives us. Are are the way that we're meant to live. The way that he made us to live. And so it is good to follow him. So let's be those. This Palm Sunday. Who cry out. Hosanna. Save us now. Personally, for our neighbourhood and for our world.